If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up to the book of Isaiah chapter 66. And we are going to read things that come to fulfillment and fruition at the end of the book of Revelation. From chapters 19 to 22 of Revelation. All fit right here in Isaiah chapter 66. Starting in verse 4. So will I choose their delusions. Their refers to the people who reject God. Those who choose not to be saved by faith. Those who choose not to walk in God's path. So I will choose their delusions. What is a delusion? Something you think is true but is not? That's exactly right. People who don't want to believe that the Lord is God will believe that the false Messiah is God. They will believe that Satan is to be worshipped. And we'll see that in a minute. So I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. Because when I called, no one answered. What did God call for? Repentance. And their answer was no. Remember Revelation 16? They know that it's God sending down the judgments and yet they refuse to repent and they curse God to his face. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. If I was a preacher in a traditional church preaching that the law has been abolished, when I read Isaiah 66.4, I would just shake in my boots. But they did evil before my eyes. How does God define evil? And chose that in which I do not delight. But how do we know what God wants us to do? Doesn't he make us just guess? No, he wrote it down. All we have to do is read it and say, Now I know how to live my life in a way that's pleasing unto God. But talking about these delusions, let's go to 2 Thessalonians. It's the same delusions that Paul wrote about. To the Thessalonians. Not only did Paul learn from the Lord himself, but he also read the scriptures. He's read Isaiah. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read about the rapture and the resurrection, which is in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. We read about the revelation of the false Messiah to the world, that's in Revelation chapter 6 in the first seal. And we read about the mark of the beast system. Not in as much detail, but let's look at it. Are you there? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now concerning, brethren, the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Messiah had come. Day of Messiah is the same as the day of the Lord. Somebody had told the Thessalonians that the day of the Lord's coming, you missed it. The rapture came and here you are, you're still here. Oh, isn't that good news? You get to experience the tribulation period firsthand. The answer is no, that's not good news. Paul refers back to his writing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
where he teaches about the rapture and the resurrection and ends with what words? Comfort one another with these words. If I were to tell you that you're about to go through the worst wrath that God ever unleashed on this earth and six billion people are about to die, would you feel encouraged? <laughs> no. So you would not feel comforted. The comforting message is that the Lord will take his bride out of this world before this is unleashed. And go down to verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians 2. Not everyone will go. Why? Because they're not all saved. Why are they not all saved? Because they don't want to be saved. They want to believe the lie. So here's what happens. Verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness. What does that mean? The mystery of lawlessness. That lawlessness is hidden in plain sight. That if you want to see it, you'll see it. And if you don't want to see it, you never know it's there. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he or it. Remember in Hebrew, there is no word for it. There's only he and she. Only it who now restrains will do so until it is taken out of the way. The it refers to the congregation of believers. And then the lawless ones. So verse 7 is until the rapture comes. But once the rapture comes, verse 8, the lawless one is revealed. Then the lawless one. Why is he called the lawless one? Because of Daniel 7 verse 25. He wants people to break God's commandments. Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. The false Messiah is going to come performing miracles. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so the lawless one will not, shall be revealed. Right, the lawless one shall be revealed after the rapture. Okay. But doesn't the lawless one, isn't he revealed like at three and a, just before the three and a half years of the tribulation? No, he's revealed in the very first seal. He is. But the very the first seal. will not see him. Right, they get raptured first in chapter 4. In chapter 5, they're singing praise to the Lord. And in chapter 6, the false Messiah is revealed. Then three and a half years later, he takes his seat in the temple of God and claims himself to be God. Okay. But between he and the false prophet, they do things even like call down fire from heaven. So they will amaze the crowds. They'll say, I'm God. Remember the prophets of old, how they called upon God to bring down fire. You call upon me and I'll send fire down from heaven and it comes. Why does God permit that? Because if we keep reading, it'll tell us. <laughs> then the lawless one be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. I heard somebody go to meeting land say something. Anyway, it's petty. Yep. At what point does the, the uh, 133,000 Jews... The 144,000 Jews are saved and sent out to preach the gospel to the world at the beginning of the tribulation period. It's in Revelation so they, 7. So will they be refuting the lies of the... the I mean, are they just preaching the gospel or are they going to actually confront and refute, refute all the law of the... 
Yeah, they're going to go throughout the world and say, pick up your Bibles. Let's see what God said. Here in chapter 6, verse 1 of Revelation, this is the false Messiah being revealed. There he is over there. It says he's going to do lying wonders. When he calls down fire from heaven, God allows him to do that because. Let's read on and see the because. Verse 10, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They didn't want to be because they didn't want to repent. They want to continue in their sins and think that God will take them anyway. Verse 11, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Will you give up your sin? If not... Read what happens. But back to the question of why does God permit the fire to come down from heaven? God doesn't have to allow that. But did he warn us in the Old Testament anywhere? Yes. Other than Isaiah 66? Deuteronomy 13. In Deuteronomy 13. You're absolutely right. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 13. People ask me all the time, why does God send people to hell? The answer is because that's what they chose. God allows you to choose life or death. That's Deuteronomy 32, life or death. But when does he say then? Choose life. And people say, no, I would rather continue in my sin and I'll just take my chances. Well, they're not going to like the chances. Deuteronomy 13 comes right after Deuteronomy 12. Everybody go, well, duh. The last verse of Deuteronomy 12 is, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. And then he talks about people who are going to want to make you change it. Verse 1 of chapter 13 says, if there arises among you a prophet, as in the false prophet of Revelation 13, or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, that is, he calls down fire from heaven. And the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods. That's what the false Messiah is, it's another god. Which you have not known, let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him. What's it mean to walk after? Obey. Obey, but more than that. Learn from him. Learn from him. Walk the same path. Follow the shepherd, as John chapter 10 says. One flock following one shepherd can go one way. And, and for, for a reinforcement to this, the prophet that God sent to give a message and said, don't, don't go... Out the same way yeah, First Kings chapter thirteen. What happened when the prophet believed that God would change his mind? He got ate by a lion. He got what, ate by a lion. What's that, what's that reference again, please? First Kings chapter thirteen. Thank you. Yep. So back to Deuteronomy thirteen four. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. So God has warned us that false prophets can do false miracles. 
How many of you remember the movie The Ten Commandments? When Aaron casts his rod down before Pharaoh and it becomes a serpent, what do the Jembers and Janus do, the other two guys? They throw down their rods and they become serpents. But I know Aaron's rod eats the other two. But God allowed them to do the miracle. Because people have to choose. Will God make you serve him? He may feed you to a fish, but he won't force you to serve him. He will just let you change your own mind. Let's go to the book of Luke. Let's go to the book of Luke. Chapter 21. Luke 21 has more stuff in it than Matthew chapter 24 does. Luke 21 verses 24 to 28. Luke chapter 21 verses 24 to 28. And they will fall by the edge of the sword. Is there going to be war in the tribulation period? Oh, great wars. And be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So verse 24's primary emphasis is on 70 AD. Rome is going to destroy Jerusalem. The children of Israel are going to be scattered throughout all the world. And remain there until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled when Messiah returns in Revelation 19 verse 11 and following. And establishes the Messianic kingdom on earth and breaks the power of all the Gentile world powers and rulers. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. Are the false prophets the only one who can do signs and wonders? No, God's going to do signs and wonders. So how do you know whether the signs and wonders are coming from the false prophets or from the God of the universe? The answer is, do they lead you to God or away from God? And on the earth, distressed and nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Why does God do that? Because he wants people to repent. Men's hearts failing them from fear. And the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That's Revelation 19.11. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. I wanted to add Luke 21 so we don't think that all signs and wonders come from Satan. They do not. Some do, some don't. So how do you test? Do they lead you to God or do they lead you away from God? To Jeremiah 30. Verses 6 to 9. You know what, we may as well start in verse 5. Why start in the middle of a paragraph? So do Jeremiah 30, verses 5 to 9. For thus says the Lord. Who said it? The Lord said it. See how Lord is spelled? There's the tetragrammaton, those four Hebrew letters, yod heh vav heh. We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. 
I've heard just this past week from some amillennialists who believe that the world is just getting better and better, more peaceful, more loving, more sin-free, more godly, and that pretty soon the world is going to be just absolutely sinless and perfect, and then Messiah can come. They're not reading the same book we are, I don't think. Verse 6, ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. Somebody needs to share this with the government. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins? You laugh at me. There's new legislation out there to force religious institutions like uh, Christian colleges to provide abortion services to men in case they get pregnant and don't want to be. That's what they're saying. Got to make it equal. Oh, come on. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turned pale? When you see the phrase woman in labor, what does that make you think of? All the women can give birth. I was thinking more of the fact that that's a birth pains, the tribulation period, yeah. Alas, for that day is great. What day? The day of the Lord. Oh, it is talking about the tribulation period, isn't it? So that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. When you read that phrase, so that none is like it, it should strike terror in your heart. We like to think of the Holocaust as ancient history. But do you know how few years it was after the Holocaust that I was born? It wasn't very far. Some of you may have been born before the Holocaust ended. And in the Holocaust, what portion of the Jewish people perished? A third. So this says in the tribulation period, it's going to be worse than that. At least six billion people are going to die in the tribulation period. I hear people often say, I don't want to go in the rapture. I want to stay and be here during the tribulation period so I can help people. The scripture says, if you look forward to the tribulation period, you don't understand it. Verse 8 says, for, because, it shall come to pass in that day. What day? Day of the Lord. Says the Lord of hosts, Adonai Zavaot, in times prophecy. That will break his yoke from your neck. Talking about breaking the power of the Gentile world powers and Satan who is the one behind the power. And will burst your bonds. That is, will bring Israel back from captivity. Foreigners shall no more enslave them. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king whom I will raise up for them. Is the king talking about David as in King David from 3,000 years ago? No. Talking about Messiah because it's a descendant of David. Why is Israel called Israel? Because they descend from Israel. Why is Jacob called Jacob? Because they descend from Jacob. This is talking about the son of David, who's our Messiah Yeshua, who just happens to be the Lord and God. Boy, that was a lot for God to put in one verse. So let's go back to Isaiah 66. Verse 4 that we just talked about says, 
So I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. The delusions are that they'll believe the lie. The fears are the, the dreaded wrath of God being poured out in the tribulation period. Because when I called, no one answered, meaning no one of them responded. If you want to miss the tribulation period, all you have to do is be saved when the trumpet blows. If you're here to go through the tribulation period, it's because you didn't. Yes, ma'am. So, we have relatives that were praying for the Sarah Jones. So, we have relatives that we're praying for. They might not get raptured, but they still have a second They might not get raptured, but they still have an opportunity to be saved. When they see the soles of your feet, and remember how you told them it was coming, they may just have a change of heart. Where do we know in Scripture that they can still get saved? That's in Revelation chapter 7. There's a countless multitude from all peoples, tongues, and nations that get saved during the tribulation period. They refuse to repent before, but once they see that the Bible is true and that the God in heaven is real, countless multitudes are going to say, I made the wrong choice. And here comes the 144,000 to say, let me show you the way. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. Put that another way. They walked in how? Lawlessness. So turn to Matthew chapter 7. I know you know these words, but there's somebody out there on the internet listening going, I don't know what Matthew 7 says, so let's go look. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, for just a short to the point version. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Why not? They call Messiah Yeshua Lord. Isn't that enough? It's not. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That verse isn't entirely clear. So we have to keep reading. Many will say to me, in that day, okay, now we know we're talking about judgment day. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? They say, these are the proofs that we believed in you. The works that we did prove that we believed in you. Did God command them to do any of these things? No. Did he ask them to do any of these things? No. So what are these these are actions that people think ought to impress God. And then I'll declare to them, verse 23 says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So they called Yeshua Lord. They did miraculous signs in his name. But they never obeyed. What does this tell you? Is the book of James right when it says it's not your words but your deeds? So let's go back and pick up with Isaiah chapter 66 verse 5. Oh, I'm so sorry. Verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Hey, what good advice. I, what Isaiah is saying is you don't have to be the one who goes through the tribulation period. What's, what's the remedy? 
hear the word of the Lord. What's it mean to hear? To listen and obey. Yeah. You who tremble at his word. That's the one God's looking for. Your brethren who hated you. Who cast you out for my name's sake. Now wait a minute. Do people ever get persecuted when they come to faith by the families that are unsaved? Oh yeah. Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But they shall be ashamed. Let's go to Revelation and see how God describes those who are the saints. Rather than just one verse, we're going to look at both of them. So first, Revelation 12, 17. Revelation 12, 17 takes place at the midpoint of the tribulation period. Three and a half years in with three and a half years to go. And the dragon, that's Satan, was enraged with the woman, that is Israel. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who, that word who is important, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah. Why does Satan want to kill those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah? In Matthew 23, the Lord said, I'm not returning until you what? Cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Satan believes if he can kill all the believers in the world before they can cry out for Messiah to come, he won't come. Does God fear that? No. Let's go to Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Revelation 14, 12. That word saints in Greek is hagios. The same word that's translated as holy ones or as in holy as in the Holy Spirit. Who, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. How does God define a saint? Those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. So whenever people say, we don't have to keep the commandments of God, just the commandments of Jesus, just give them a kind of strange look and go, who do you think Yeshua is? Is he God from all eternity? He most certainly is. And Revelation in 12, 17 and 14, 12 say, who keep the commandments of God. Let's go back to Zechariah 12. We don't have to look just in the New Testament. What does Zechariah 12 tell us? Other than the fact that we need to stop pushing Israel to defy Jerusalem. Zechariah 12, 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Who did they pierce? Yeshua, our Messiah. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Have you ever heard a preacher who preaches replacement theology say God is done with Israel and he's cast them off? It's not what the Bible says, is it? Not at all. Not at all. 
not a atoros or something like that in Hebrew or Spanish, one of the things. Back to Isaiah chapter 66, we're up to verse 6. The sound of noise from the city. Again, do you remember the movie The Ten Commandments? As Joshua and Moses are coming down from the mountain, Joshua says, a sound of war in the camp. Was it a sound of war? No, it was a sound of what? Rebellion. The sound of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. This suggests that when the Lord returns, he's going to go into the temple mount and sit himself in the temple on the mercy seat. Is he going to do that? Yes. Ezekiel chapter 43. Let's go to Ezekiel 43. Ezekiel 43, verse 1. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east. That's called the Golden Gate, or the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. It looks out over the Mount of Olives. Where did Messiah ascend to heaven from? Mount of Olives. So where will he return to? The Mount of Olives. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel, that is Messiah. He bears the glory, just like in Matthew 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's see what the number one out there says. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Tanya. That's true. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and you're shown with his glory. That's Revelation chapters 1 and 18. So we know it's talking about Messiah. Verse 7. After he's come into the courts of the temple and entered into the Holy of Holies, sat on the mercy seat, so then he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne where he will rule and reign forever. Place of the soles of my feet, which shows ownership and possession. Where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. Starting in verse 18, we talk about the sacrifices beginning again. Same chapter, verse 27, when these days are over, it shall be on the eighth day and thereafter that the priest shall offer your burnt offerings and your peace offerings on the altar, and I will accept you, says the Lord God. Why sacrifices? Because God commanded them. And when the people bring the sacrifice and offerings, what are they doing? They're being obedient. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 14 as well. It talks about Messiah's return. It tells us when in the circumstances. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. That word spoil means plunder or booty. Zechariah 14, verse 1. For I will gather all the nations. Which of the nations? All the nations. How do you know this is different from the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38? 
In Gog and Magog, there's only certain specific nations that are mentioned, like Russia, like Iran, like Turkey. It's not the whole world. In fact, there are other nations in Ezekiel 38 saying, why are you doing this? At Zechariah 14, all the nations come. Why do they all come? Try and overthrow Messiah from the throne. That's Psalm 2. But is there something in Revelation 16? Keep a finger here. Let's turn to Revelation 16. We're coming back to Zechariah 14. Revelation 16, verse 12 to 14. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the false messiah, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So Satan sends out three demons, one from himself, one from the false messiah, one from the false prophets, to gather them all together. If there was a leader of a nation like, oh, let's say the United States, that had a godly leader, would they follow these false demonic forces? No. So what does that tell you about the state of the world? It's not being run by believers, is it? It is not. So back to Zechariah 14, verse 2. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. What did our president just promise the Palestinian Authority when he was over there last week? Half of the land for a Palestinian state with half of Jerusalem. Back to the pre-1967 borders. I wish he wouldn't do things like that. Amazing, isn't it? Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. We return with Messiah in Revelation 19.11, but nowhere does it say we're going to fight. He doesn't need our help. Messiah plus one is a majority. He doesn't need the one. In verse 4, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's to the east of the Temple Mount. That's why in, Revel in Ezekiel 43, we see the reference to the eastern gate looking out over the Mount of Olives. And that's where and when Messiah returns. For the battle of Armageddon, I don't know if I should call it a battle or not. Messiah speaks a word and it's over. I guess you could call it a battle light. I don't know. Okay. Back to Isaiah 66. There's something else I want you to notice in chapter 66, verse 6 of Isaiah. 
Who does the Lord fully repay? His enemies. When he pours out his wrath in the tribulation period, is it upon his children? No, it's upon his enemies. Messiah himself said, think back to the days of Noah. Before God sent the flood to destroy all life on the earth, what did he do with the righteous? He, he provided salvation. He took them out of the world and onto the ark, which in Jewish thought is a picture of heaven. He closes the door. Seven days later, the rest of mankind dies. Just like in Revelation 4, the bride is caught up before the seven-year tribulation period, and then it ends with the battle of Armageddon where all the unsaved perish. He also said, look at the days of Lot. What did the angels tell Lot when Lot was a little slow leaving Sodom and Gomorrah? Get up your feet and get out of here because we can't do anything until you're out of here. Because what did God tell us as he's speaking with Abraham and Abraham saying, will God destroy the righteous with the wicked? What's the answer to that? Mejanoito, if they were speaking Greek. God forbid, you bet. Throughout the scriptures, God has two hands. Something in one, something in the other. There's always two categories. So in verse 6, on one hand is God's enemies. What's in the other hand? His children, his servants. And you get to decide which hand you'd like to be in. How many think you want to be his enemy come judgment day? If you do, let's keep reading. Verse 7, before she was in labor, she gave birth. I hear lots of ladies going, boy, I wish that applied to us today. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before a pain came, she delivered a male child. This is referring to what? The salvation of Israel. Go to Revelation chapter 12. A lot of people say it's about the formation of the nation of Israel in 1948, but it is not. It refers to Revelation chapter 12. Verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. Have you been listening to all those YouTube programs about the lining up of the stars up there? This this great sign that this is talking about. They call it the Revelation 12 sign. They're wrong. The great sign appeared in heaven: a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Remember the dreams of Joseph. This was from Joseph's dream. So what is this woman? This woman is Israel. Verse 2, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, that's Satan, having seven heads and ten horns, that's the beast of Daniel chapter 7. The beast of the... the beast that is the, the reign of the false messiah. 
and seven diadems on his head. There originally are ten toes, but three of the toes get overthrown. It's also described as ten horns. Three of the horns get uprooted. It is the kingdom of the false messiah. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. That's a third of the angels that Satan brought with him in his rebellion. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. This is Messiah being born in the hearts of the children of Israel. Why does he want to devour them? Because they will cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and Messiah will return, and Satan's reign will end. So she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. That's Psalm 2, Isaiah 11, and Isaiah 66. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. What's 1,260 days? It's three and a half years. All those Bible teachers out there teaching that this woman is Mary giving birth to the baby Jesus 2,000 years ago. When they come to verse 6, they just have to ignore it because they have no idea when Mary fled for three and a half years into the wilderness because she didn't. This is not talking about the physical birth of Messiah 2,000 years ago. It's the birth of Messiah in the hearts of the children of Israel. Let's go back to Isaiah 66, verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? Does the nation refer to the land? No. Does it refer to the government? No, it refers to the people. For as soon as Zion was in labor, what's Zion or Zion? Prophetic Jerusalem. She gave birth to her children. The children are the Jewish people coming to believe in Messiah. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. How can we know when these things are coming? Doesn't the scripture say that it's like a thief in the night? Ah, here's a qualification. Some will be prepared, some won't. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, why do they cry peace and safety? Because in Revelation 6, verse 1, the false Messiah is released and he confirms a treaty of peace for how long? No, for seven years. It's a seven-year treaty of peace. He absolutely guarantees peace for seven years. But you know what? He's a liar. He's a liar. He himself will break it. But how do you get people to lay down their arms and to stop being watchful and wary? 
You assure them that no harm will come. This is the time of peace. There's finally going to be peace. And the false Messiah will guarantee it. And Israel will lay down its arms and say, finally, we can go back to raising children and farming and tourism, etc. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Uh-oh, labor pains. Talking about what? The tribulation period. What's the second seal that's opened after the false Messiah promises seven years of absolute peace? The second horse is war. The second seal is war. So as soon as the world rejoices for a, a, a period of peace is finally here, then war breaks out. And they shall not escape, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. So at this day shall overtake you as a thief. And what differentiates the two? Go back to verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Do the times and the seasons mean winter, spring, summer, and fall? No. The Moedim, the appointed times of the Lord. If you know the appointed times of the Lord, you cannot get caught off guard. When you hear a well-known, well-known prophecy teacher that preaches and teaches so beautifully, say the rapture is going to come in Shavuot, what do you say? That's not what the Moedim say, is it? It is not. And let's go to Jeremiah 30. We were there a few minutes ago, but I want to read a little more. Oops, I got some red numbers out there. Let's see. Okay, Sam asked a question and Rachel answered it. The dream is in Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 to 10. That's right, I didn't tell you where. Sorry. Jeremiah 30. Thank you, Rachel. Jeremiah 30, verses 6 to 10. We read verses 6 and 7. Whether a man's ever in labor with child, the last that day is great. What's it mean at the end of verse 7? But he, Jacob, shall be saved out of it. Unrepentant Israel will finally get saved by faith, right? That's Romans eleven twenty six, and all Israel shall be saved. Start in verse 10 of Jeremiah 30. Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar. Why does God use Jacob and Israel in the same sentence? Unrepentant versus repentant. Yeah. So God's going to save Israel whether they want him to or not. And your seed from the land of their captivity, Jacob shall return, have rest and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. Why? Because when Messiah returns... All those that are unsaved perish. 
and the world then enters into a period of peace, love, and harmony where there is no war. There is no harm even from the animals. Back to Isaiah chapter 66. Verse 9. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? Verse 9 is God speaking to the skeptics who say, no, God won't save Israel. God's done with Israel. God cast off Israel. What does Paul say in the book of Romans chapter 11? Has God cast off Israel? And he says, no, because I'm an Israelite. I happen to know for sure that God has not cast off his nation, whom he foreknew. Give me another place in scripture, like in Jeremiah chapter 31, where God makes the same promise that he will never cast off Israel. So let's go to Jeremiah 31. I threw out Jeremiah 31 because somebody would answer Isaiah 66 because, yeah, Isaiah 66 is going to go on to affirm that God will not ever cast off Israel. But Isaiah chapter, or Jeremiah 31, verse 33. But this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my Torah, my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. How's that for being specific? And in black and white. And then in verses 35 to 37, God says, Now I'm going to prove it. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day. When did he do that? In Genesis 1.14. Yep, in the very beginning. The ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, that is the sun, moon, and stars, depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. In other words... If the sun, moon, and stars are still in the heavens, has God cast off Israel? Absolutely not. What if he did? Then he's a liar. If he's a liar, he's not God. So he didn't. Verse 37, thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured. Can anybody tell me exactly how many heavenly bodies there are out there? Stars, planets, moons, asteroids, comets? No. In a foundation of the earth searched out beneath, I also will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they've done, says the Lord. In other words, God will not cast off his people. So, back to Isaiah 66, verse 10. God's going to give us a commandment. It's a command form. Rejoice with Jerusalem. It's a command form. It means rejoice with Jerusalem or else. If you want to oppose Jerusalem, if you hate Jerusalem, if you want to divide Jerusalem, you're in the or else category. 
Rejoice with Jerusalem. This is not the only time God commands it. Look at Psalm 122, verses 6 to 9. Psalm 22, verses 6 to 9. Psalm 122, verses 6 to 9. 122. Psalm 122. Verses 6 to 9. That word pray in Psalm 122, verse 6 is sha'alu. It is a command form. It's plural. It's to everybody. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. That's the Lord talking through David, the prophet. If you love the city of Jerusalem and you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you will prosper. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Those words teach about a particular festival day. Which one? Tabernacles. What does tabernacles teach about? The establishment of the messianic kingdom. How many of you look forward to the messianic kingdom? Oh, I do too. So back to verse 10. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her. What's another term for the Feast of Tabernacles? The season of our joy. And what do you see in verse 10? Rejoice, be glad, rejoice for joy. You see the joy over and over again. So in verse 7, the Lord promises that all Israel shall be saved. In verse 6, he promises the enemies will be defeated at the battle of Armageddon. And verse 10 says, after Armageddon, we enter into that millennial kingdom of peace, love, and joy, where there is no war. You can get a little excited reading this. Verse 11, that... Here's a blessing promised for those who pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That you may feed and be satisfied. What was the third horse of Revelation? Famine. At the end of the tribulation period, no more famine. With the consolation of her bosom that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. Drink deeply, drink deeply the water, which signifies what? According to John chapter 7, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be so abundant, so prevalent, so present in the millennial kingdom that you won't be able to do anything but rejoice. Let's turn to Revelation 5, 9. And see that the rejoicing begins even before 
the battle of Armageddon by those that have been raptured and resurrected, those that are standing before the Lord in heaven, those who know that they don't have to go through the tribulation period. Revelation 5, 9. And they, but we should change that. What, we, what should we put? And we. Saying a new song, saying... You, that's our Messiah Yeshua, are worthy to take the scroll. The scroll has the seven seals on it. It's not yet been opened. You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, talking about the crucifixion of Messiah, and have redeemed us to God by your blood. What does the book of Hebrews tell us? That without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Can you see the excitement, the joy, the glory? It just exudes from those verses. And we will praise the Lord forever and ever for giving us that opportunity. Go back to Isaiah 66. Verse 12. For, because, thus says the Lord. Who says it? The Lord. Do you believe it? Yes. Yes. Behold, which means shut up and listen. This is important. Don't you dare miss this. I will extend peace to her. Her is Jerusalem. Like a river. No war. Animals don't bite. How many of you like to walk at night out through the mosquito fields? <laughs> In the millennial kingdom, you can walk through the, those fields and not get bitten. Won't that be a blessing? <laughs> I'll extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Why are the Gentiles so glorious? Because they have also been saved. Then you shall feed. On her sides shall you be carried and be dandled on her knees. Do you, question. question, go ahead. Why is Gentiles capitalized? Why not? Uh, it's just because the authors chose to do, the translators chose to capitalize it. Okay, so we're referring to uh, a people group or... Saved. People who are not born Jews, yeah, but they got saved, yeah. All these have gotten saved. But there are no capital letters in Hebrew, so the people who published this Bible chose to capitalize the G. Okay. But do you understand what it means on her side, shall you be carried and be dandled on her knees? It's talking about like a woman with a baby, how she carries the child, the young child on her hip as she walks. And when you sit down and you bounce the baby on your knees, that's dandling on the knees. In other words, Messiah inhabits the temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And there is such protection, such nurturing. It's like a mother caring for that young child who carries the child so it doesn't fall and hurt itself who dandles it on the knees to keep it joyful and happy. 
That's the way it's going to be in the kingdom. We're going to be happy. How many walk around like a glummy gus all the time? You won't in the kingdom. You'll be singing the glory to the Lord. So verse 13 explains it. I guess I didn't need to. As one whom his, his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Not I will comfort them, that is those who don't believe. This is for the believers. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice. This is God defending and protecting Jerusalem and his people. You shall rejoice. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice. What feast does that remind you of? Tabernacles. God just doesn't want us to forget. When did he first put the stars and sun and moon up in the sky so that we would know when those appointed times are? Genesis chapter 1. How many people were on the earth when he did that? None. This is not an afterthought. The millennial kingdom was planned from before the foundations of the world. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like grass. What does that mean? We're going to grow up to be healthy. We're going to be happy, healthy, and comforted. You betcha. <laughs> and then we come to the two hands again. The hand of the Lord, referring to God's protection, his comfort, his provision, shall be known to his servants and his indignation to his enemies. What is that word indignation? That is the um. That is a word used throughout the, throughout the Old Testament to talk about the tribulation period. And let's read about the tribulation period and the kingdom that follows. Let's go to Zephaniah 3. Zephaniah 3, verses 8 and 9. Kind of read a little bit strangely. Verse 8 says, Therefore wait for me, says the Lord. That is, keep hoping and expecting and knowing that the Lord is coming until the day I rise up for plunder. That's the day of the Lord. My determination is to gather the nations. That's all the nations being gathered to the battle of Armageddon. To my assembly of kingdoms to pour on them my indignation. There you go. All my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. That verse is unique. It's the only verse in the Bible that has every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, including the five final forms. And then verse 9 says, For then I'll... What's that? Including the five final forms. There are five letters that look different when they're at the end of a word than when they're in the middle. Like the final name. The final name is really important. More important than we realize. The name makes an M sound. At the end of a word, it looks like a square. 
Let me finish that after I do verse 9. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord, which means we're all going to speak Hebrew. But to continue the explanation of the main, go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Um, and you just said with one accord that we're going to speak what? One language? And then I'll restore to the peoples a pure language. That's Hebrew. Remember at the Tower of Babel, God confused the languages? When we come to the kingdom, it's all back to Hebrew. So that's why we study Hebrew now, to give us a leg up. Otherwise, I like to say, we'll be sitting in heaven for seven years going, Olive, Baton, Gimel, Dalitay, and Vav, and Zayintu. But in Isaiah 9, verse 7, Isaiah 9, 6 is about the birth of Messiah. Yes, for unto us a, a child is born. Verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That word increase, of the increase, in verse 7 is lamarbe. Lamarbe. That M sound in the middle of lamarbe is a final name. Which means it only comes at the end of a word. But this is the only time in scripture it comes in the middle of a word. The sages of old, that is before Messiah said, that that final name in the middle of Lamarbe indicates the closed womb of a virgin. That this prophecy means that Messiah would be virgin born. Now after Messiah, they changed their mind and said, whoops, we got that wrong. But they were correct. God gave us an immutable sign that Messiah would be born of a virgin. Let's go also to... Zechariah 14.2, but we've already been there, so just make a note. Zechariah 14.2. Huh. Ah. We're in Isaiah 66, verse 14. The last line is, and his indignation to his enemies. That Hebrew word, like I said, is za'am which refers to the Lord pouring out his wrath in the tribulation period. And I also said it's used throughout the Old Testament. But one place that it's used that is very significant is in Isaiah chapter 26. We can see clearly in Isaiah 66 that the Za'am is the wrath of God being poured out in the tribulation period. Isaiah 26, verses 19 to 21. It also uses the Zaam to give us a time reference for the rapture and the resurrection. Verse 19 says, Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. They're singing in Revelation 5, 9. Remember we just read the song? For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers. Here's the rapture and the resurrection. People being caught up to heaven, brought into the bridal chambers at the start of the tribulation period. 
Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. So where are the raptured and resurrected saints when God pours out his wrath on the world? In the bridal chamber with the door shut. Just like Noah and his family were on the ark with the door shut. So this tells us, when do we enter the bridal chamber? Before or after the indignation? Before. So let us go back to Isaiah chapter 66. We're up to verse 15. For behold, what does the word behold mean? What follows is important, right? Not to be ignored. For behold, the Lord will come with fire. What's fire a picture of? Judgment. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. People say God will not bring fire upon the earth. God wouldn't judge people. He loves everybody. Let's read 2 Peter chapter 3. Starting in verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What do we call that day? The day of the Lord. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And that takes us back to 1 Thessalonians 5, huh? Who gets caught like a thief in the night? Those that do not understand the scriptures and God's appointed times. So let's go back to Isaiah 66 and at least finish reading the verse. Shame on me for jumping away so quickly. Verse 15, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind. Today we have buildings made out of brick and stone and iron. What were they made of in the days of Isaiah? Some were mud. Some were stone. Could be stacked blocks. Some were just wood huts. Many had wooden thatched roofs. How do buildings like that do in a hurricane or a tornado? Not so good, huh? When with his chair, it's like a whirlwind means, and nothing's going to be able to stand in front of the Lord. To render his anger with fury. Is he a little miffed? No, he is angry. Why? Because for seven years, he's been trying to get people to repent. And multitudes did repent, but those that have not repented never would. No matter what God would do, they simply will not repent because they don't want to. 
So God is angry that they've rebuffed every opportunity for salvation. And his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword the Lord will judge whom? All flesh. And the slain of the Lord shall be many, shall be multitudes. Let's go to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, 10. Everybody ready? Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Yeshua is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on. Here's who vengeance is on. Those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Because if they did know God, they would obey the gospel, right? Verse 9 says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction. What's that mean? Are they going to burn in the lake of fire forever and ever without end? Yeah. Shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day. What day? Day of the Lord. To be glorified in his saints. There's that word hagios. Those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Yeshua. And to be admired among all those who believe. Because our testimony among you was believed. So again, God says there's going to be two camps. Those who got saved by faith and kept the commandments of God and those who did not. One gets everlasting destruction. The other gets eternal glory. Which is better? Eternal glory. Yes, ma'am. It's, it's very encouraging... I don't know, the word just popped out of me right in verse 7 as you were reading. In verse 7, something popped out, we said. Yeah. And it says, and to you who are troubled, rest. And to you who are troubled, rest. Tell me about that rest. It's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, isn't it? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. Everything focuses in on the rest. Everything focuses on the rest. That's, that's that place we all need to be more and more. Because we can place where we all need to be more and more. But this is talking even beyond that. Yeah. Hebrews 4.9 There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That word rest is sabbatismos and it means specifically a Sabbath rest. Does the scripture really say 
that if you want to be in God's kingdom, you must keep the Sabbath. It really does. Let's go to Revelation 19 and read about the return of the Lord. This is where he brings that wrath and indignation. Revelation 19. Starting in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Back in Bible days, if a king came in peace, he came riding on a donkey. If he came for war, he came riding on a horse. So how did Messiah enter Jerusalem in Matthew? On a donkey. When he returns, it's on a horse. And you sat in him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Does that remind you of John 1.1? 1, 1? And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed them on white horses. Who's that army in heaven? That's us. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. What is that sharp sword? It's the word of God. That with it he should strike the nations. Those are all the nations that came against Israel. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. That's Psalm 2, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 63, etc. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Until 1967, there were no carnivorous birds in Israel. So the rabbis used to mock the New Testament, specifically on this point. There aren't any. But now there are uncountable numbers up in Gamla, which is in the Golan Heights. Where does the Battle of Gog and Magog take place? In the Golan Heights. They're just waiting for a supper. That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. That is the people that come against Jerusalem for Armageddon. And I saw the beast, that's the false messiah, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence but which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. You think that's gross and graphic? Let's go to Zechariah 14. You think maybe God's trying to encourage people not to take that root and be eaten by the birds 
Zechariah 14.12, he again wants to discourage people from being part of the group that comes against Jerusalem. Zechariah 14, verses 12 to 15. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Ugh. Do you want to be in that army? Not me. What would cause the flesh to dissolve while they stand on their feet, their eyes to dissolve in their sockets, and the tongues to dissolve in their mouths? Radiation, Radiation a nuclear explosion, wouldn't it? This isn't the only place in Scripture that says we're going to have a nuclear war in the future. Uh huh. Back to Isaiah 66, we're up to verse 17. I got a lot of notes on verse 17. So Isaiah 66, 17 says, it follows verse 16. The Lord will judge all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst. What's wrong with idolatry? Isn't it just fun? Nope. No. Our God is a jealous God. He said to himself, eating swine's flesh. What's a swine? Pig. Pig. Can you believe people will be eating pork? And the abomination in the mouth shall be consumed together, says the Lord. So let's go look at some scriptures that tell us why God does not want us worshiping idols and eating pigs. And what in the world is the abomination in the mouse? So let's first say, do you know what the word garden means? What does it mean? I was just going to ask you about that. In the gardens, you find one tree in the middle. That's a place of idolatry. A garden is a grove of trees in biblical terms. Today we think of a garden as fruits and vegetables, but in biblical terms, it's a grove of trees. Yeah, let's go to Numbers 24, 6. Would you believe people used to do things like cut one down and bring it in the house and decorate it? And Yeah, they sure did that. Numbers 24, 6. Numbers 24-6. I see pages are still turning. Number 24-6 says, Like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. So the gardens by the riverside, like cedars beside the waters. Ecclesiastes 2.5. 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 Ecclesiastes 
Ecclesiastes 2.5. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon. So that lets you know where to find it. I make myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. For idolatry, let's go to Deuteronomy 12.2. Deuteronomy 12.2. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree that is under the evergreen trees. What do the evergreen trees symbolize? The worship of Ishtar. If you go back to Nimrod and Semiramis and Tammuz, Samarimus used the evergreen tree to say that she is the queen of heaven who has the power over life and death. And if you cut down that evergreen tree in the spring, she would make it grow back to prove that she is the one to be worshipped. And that's where the Christmas trees and all originate, where it comes from. 1 Kings chapter 14. We mentioned 1 Kings 13 a few minutes ago. That's where the prophet decided that God would change his commandment and got eaten by the lion. But this is 1 Kings 14, the very next chapter. Verse 23. For they, this is talking about Israel now, also built for themselves high places, those are the pagan altars, sacred pillars, and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. Second Kings 16 verse 4 is a different generation. But is Israel going to do the same thing again? You know they are. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 4. Talking about King Ahaz. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Another generation, 2 Kings chapter 17. Verse 10. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. So notice that the idolatry tends to take place under the evergreen trees on the high hills. Isaiah 57, 5. 
Isaiah 57, verse 5. God's going to bring judgment on Israel for idolatry. It says, inflaming yourselves with gods under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys under the clefts of the rock. Talking about the child sacrifices. In Jeremiah chapter 2. The death of the innocents really angers God. Jeremiah 2.20 Jeremiah 2.20 For of old I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds, and you said, I will not transgress. Talking about bringing Israel back out of captivity when Israel said, we won't sin anymore. When on every high hill and under every green tree you lay down playing the harlot. So with their lips they said, we won't do it anymore. While they were doing it yet again. Back in Isaiah 66 verse 17. Okay, that's to go after the idols in the midst of the gardens. What about eating swine's flesh? The word swine or pig in Hebrew is chazir. Chazir. I just want you to know that. Turn to Leviticus 11 verse 7. Leviticus 11 verse 7. Why would God care what we eat? Because it makes us abominable in his eyes. Leviticus 11.7 It starts in verse 4. These you shall not eat. Verse 7 says, And the swine, that's the pig, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. And when it says in, in chapter 11, thou shalt not eat, the commandment is not ever. Not ever. It's never going to change. It's never going to be all right to have that pork. In Leviticus 11, the very Hebrew words that are used mean thou shalt never eat it. That it will never be okay to eat pork. It's not going to change. There are commandments in the Bible that are temporary. This is not a temporary commandment. It's a permanent one. Lotochlu, not ever. Yes? Yeah, a temporary commandment might be that you can't go into the temple and eat something holy while you're in a state of uncleanness. Once you're not unclean anymore, then you can go eat it. 
but while you're unclean, temporarily you can't do it. And then, if it was a temporary commandment, it would be all tochlu instead of lo tochlu. So if it was just while you're in the wilderness, the words would be different. Deuteronomy 14.8. Moses destroyed those first tablets. But God makes a second set. In Deuteronomy 14.8. Says this. Also the swine is unclean for you. God bless you. Because it has cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, you shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. Notice you can touch the pig when it's alive, but not when it's dead. Is it the same word? Thou shalt not ever? Yep, not ever. Not ever. 2 Corinthians 6. Some people say, how come it doesn't say anything in the New Testament about not eating unclean things? Well, it does. 2 Corinthians. But then when you say, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, they say, no, I don't think I want to. Verses 16 and following. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 16 and following. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I'll receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Does Paul say it's okay to eat a pig? No. He says if you want to be the child of God, do not touch what is unclean. Because in Leviticus, let's go back to Leviticus 11. God tells us what happens if you do eat it. You make yourself abominable to, the God, to God. You know what it means to be abominable? It's something you don't want to be. At the end of Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy. For I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves, which means to make your soul unclean with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Are these words quoted in the New Testament? 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 13 to 16. 
Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah as obedient children. Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you shall be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. He's quoting directly from Leviticus 11. Be holy, for I am holy. If you want to put in your notes, the Hebrew word for abomination is shakats. Spell it S-H-E-Q-A-T-Z, shakats. And I'm going to skip giving you all the references where it uses that word. Because they're all going to say the same thing. Just stop it. Uh-oh. The word there for mouse is the Hebrew word 5909, akar, A-K-K-A-R. And that's in Leviticus 11.29. Which surprised me because I didn't think God needed to tell me not to eat a mouse. It just never occurred to me to see that little thing across the floor and say, gee, I should eat that. <laughs> but it's in Leviticus 11.29. These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, and the large lizard after its kind. Wouldn't this squirrel be kind of... What's that? Wouldn't that be kind of like towards a squirrel as well? Because, I mean, they kind of look a lot like a mouse. Just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it includes all those mouse-like creatures. They're all lumped together. Yeah. No, I won't skip it. Let's go to 1 Samuel 6. I'm running low on time, but maybe, maybe we can get through. 1 Samuel 6. God actually uses mice to curse people. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. When the Philistines captured the ark, God sent great judgments among them. They had great um, hemorrhoids. And when they'd go to use the bathroom, the mice would come up and bite them on the hemorrhoids. I mean, it was horrible. It really happened. So, verse 4, Then they said, What is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? So they want to return the Ark of the Covenant, but they know they have to send a trespass offering. They answered, Five golden tumors, those are hemorrhoids, and five golden rats who used to bite the hemorrhoids. According to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Therefore, you should make images of your hemorrhoids and images of your rats that ravage the land. You shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods, and from your land. So, mice and rats are used by God as judgments. Back to Isaiah 66, we're up to verse 18. Can you ask a question? Go ahead. Okay. Verse 3, chapter 6 there, 1 Samuel. 
First Samuel six three. And he said, "If you send away the ark of God, send it not empty." If you send away the ark of God, send it not empty. Meaning, don't does, send it does, without a tribute. So does that mean that they were they able? They, they couldn't touch it. To they couldn't touch it. No, it didn't mean they were going to put it inside the ark. They mean with it. Oh, send. <coughs> yeah. So send an offering to the Lord, the trespass offering that we were just talking about. Yep. Back to Isaiah chapter 66, we're up to verse 18. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. All nations gathered where? To Jerusalem. That's Zechariah 14. We just read that. It's also in Psalm 67. Let's go to Psalm 67. Wayne? Yes, ma'am. Um, why does verses 18 through 21 look remarkably different than all the others? Why do those verses look remarkably different from all the others? What do you mean by that? Why did they change the way they presented the text? That's just the way the authors chose to do it, those who published this version. And so no particular reason why those specific verses? No particular reason. At least none that I've heard them communicate. Psalm 67. Now, when you're looking at a Torah scroll, and the Torah scroll does things to formatting, there's reasons. Psalm 67, verses 1 through 3. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. That the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So from the time of these psalms and before, God has been calling all nations to come and be saved, to come and worship him, to come and enjoy his blessings. And when they refuse, that's when they get called to the battle of Armageddon. There, is, there are a whole bunch more scriptures that we could go to on that point. So, okay, Psalm 72. I'm going to run out of time. We'll have to finish next week. I really thought we'd get done today, but I usually am overly optimistic. Psalm 72, verse 11. It's leading to the question of, does the Torah, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God apply to Israel or to all people? And you guys know it's all people. Psalm 72, verse 11. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Psalm 72, verse 17. His name shall endure forever. 
His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. On the way home from service, every time I go home, the, the usual way, I pass this sign that says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And as I pass it, I always say, I wonder what nation that is. Because it's certainly not ours. And that breaks my heart. Psalm 82. Psalm 82, verse 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth. What's God judging the entire earth on? What's the standard? The Torah. For you shall inherit all nations. And we've run out of time, so this is where we'll stop for the week. We will pick up next week, Lord willing, continuing in verse 18.